And we've been in this series of detox that started last week. And detox is really not about removing things from our life. And a lot of you thought that. You thought about it's about removing, emptying ourselves out. But it's not about removing, it's about replacing. It's about replacing things. When we remove something, we've got to replace it with something. And the goal is that we remove the bad habit and we replace it with a godly habit. And that begins to rule our life. Because it's not enough just to remove an unhealthy habit. We've got to replace it with a good habit. I found this true in my own life. I mean, there's some things in my life that are not right. They just not, are consistent with the faith. They're not consistent with the way God has taught us to live. And there's some habits in my life that are just things that I just say, I've got to get rid of these bad habits in my life. I've got this thing called a phone. You got one of those, right? And I don't use it to talk on very often, so I don't know why we call them phones anymore. I've got about 100 apps on that thing, and I use it about six consistently. I go to the same app about every 30 minutes. It's a news site that I constantly look at as if the news is changing every 30 minutes, but it's not changing. And so I'm consistently going back there and I think to myself, I got to break this habit. I got to put this thing down and just walk away from it. And, and what I do is I, I, I find it in, in myself to remove that bad habit and put my phone down and not get to it for hours on end. But what I've done is I put that aside to start a new habit. Watching TV, because in my boredom, and I just got to say, you know, I got to fill my time doing something, and now I've replaced it from one device to the next device. Anybody been there? You've been there? Like, you, you, you have a bad habit, you got something, you just say, I don't want this anymore, and you have these uphill hopes, but this downhill habit in your life, and you're saying, I want to change it, but you just switch one bad habit for something equal or worse even. Like some of you in this room, you have given up smoking only to start snacking, right? Now, now you're snacking like crazy. It, it, you, or you have, a, you have a kid that's given up their video game addiction, but now they've replaced it with a new habit, bugging you to death and complaining, right? They're just bored. They can't find anything to do. Most alcoholics, you know, more than 90% of alcoholics, once they find sobriety, they turn to coffee. 93% have a coffee addiction, and they readily admit it. Just one dependency is switched for another dependency, and most of the time, we just replace one addiction for another. So you go from smoking to overeating. You go from drinking to needlessly shopping. You go from a sexual addiction to excessive exercise. And it's so easy to just like transfer one to the other. Because we have this theory that we can just remove this thing, we can break this habit, but what happens is, and it's very scriptural, when we remove the habit, something else is going to take its place. Did you catch that? When we remove a habit, something else is going to take its place. Either willfully, which is, I hope, what we get at today, or unwillfully. Consciously or subconsciously, something's going to take our place. And so all these things, are not substance cravings, really. They're emotional cravings. They're things that we need emotionally, and we, we're trying to find our fill within them. Jesus talks about this. I love that Jesus gets into this stuff. Jesus talks about it. He's got this great teaching in Luke chapter 11. It's on the screen here. It says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, you go, wait a minute, my habit's not an evil spirit. No, probably not. Probably not an evil spirit. But here's what he's getting at. He's saying, look, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it travels through the desert, meaning a place of wasteland, a place where there's, there's nothing for it to feed on, in a sense, looking for a place to rest. But, but when it does, it finds a place, it does find a place that says, I'll go, when it doesn't find a place, rather, I'll go back to the home where I left. So it goes back searching for the place where it went. And when it gets there and finds the place clean and fixed up, it goes off and finds seven other spirits, even worse than itself, they all come and make their home there, and that person ends up in worse shape than before. And you're going, wait a minute. I thought if I got my life clean, if I got my house in order, things in my life would be good. I'd break my habits. My, things in my life would be better. No, no. Jesus actually has an opposite teaching. His teaching is being empty of evil is not enough. 
Being empty of evil is not enough. Just breaking your bad habit is not enough. You gotta be emptied of the evil, but that's not enough. You gotta fill that void and not just remove, but replace with godly things, with God's spirit. So to be emptied of evil is not enough. You gotta be filled with God's spirit. So you have these uphill hopes, right? I want this for my life, but you got these downhill habits you can't seem to get there. Typically what happens is, We try to remove the problem. But what if, what if, just think for a moment. What if you decided, I'm not going to remove the problem. I know this sounds crazy, right? I'm not going to remove this problem from my life. I'm actually going to work on filling my life up with godly things. I'm actually going to do everything I can to make my life a pursuit for God. And in in the pursuit for God, the purity of those waters will come in and remove those toxins of my life. And all that toxin will be like the dross of impurities. It will just flow off the top and begin to move itself outward and the purity of God will come. What if you decided, I'm not going to remove this habit. I'm going to rather replace this habit by filling my life up with God. And you're going, that doesn't seem logical, but it is logical. Think how you came to Christ. Think for you who've come to Christ. Think about how you come to Christ. You didn't come to the baptistry and say, finally, my life is in order now. Everything in my life is perfect. Like, I don't sin anymore. I don't think lustful anymore. Everything in my life now is perfect. That's not how you came to Christ, is it? No, you said, nothing in my life is right right now. And I'm feeling it. And I know it. And I know for a fact that I can't do this on my own strength. I've tried and I can't do it. I need Jesus. And so you died to yourself and you welcomed Jesus in, right? That was the starting point of it. You recognize, I can't get this done by myself. God, I have sin. And you walked out of that baptistry with probably the same hurts, habits, and hangups that you walked in there with, but now you had a new source of strength. You had God in your life. You had God in your life. And you recognize probably for the very first time that you're not called to walk in your own strength. You're called to walk in God's strength. You're called to walk in God's strength. You're never going to find purpose. You're never going to be a difference maker in the true sense of how, the, how God lays it out. You're never going to live free You're never going to know God until you first surrender and welcome God into your life. You're never going to really remove the impurities of your your life, detox from the things that you want to detox, remove the the bad thoughts until you welcome God into your life. And here's the simple teaching here. The simple teaching is uphill hopes and downhill habits, those, those downhill habits can all be broken. Those chains can be broken. You can live free when you start saying, God, I want more of you in my life. And when more of God comes in your life, less of that bad stuff is in there. Start filling your life with God before you attempt to empty your life of, of the habit. That, that sounds like contrary, doesn't it? Because you've been taught, if I can just remove this thing from my life, my life's going to get better. No, it's not. Seven more. Seven more things are going to move in, Jesus says. How about you just welcome God into your life and let him fill that void? Now, hold on to that teaching. Hold on to that teaching that being emptied of evil is not enough. We need Jesus to fill our lives. Hold on to that teaching as we talk about Taking captive our thoughts, making our mind mind, getting control of our thoughts. Like, do you think that's possible? Do you think you can actually take control of your thoughts? Or do you think, no, that's just, that can't happen? Because the Bible says, no, it can, it can happen. You can take control of your thoughts. Because no one in this room has a perfect mind. I don't have a perfect mind. You don't have a perfect mind. Actually, I'm very capable, and so have you, of some very dark thoughts, some very depressing thoughts, and some very dangerous thoughts. Here's how the Bible speaks about our minds in this very corrupt and sin-filled world. Here's here's its terminology. We have a darkened mind. We have a depraved mind. We have a corrupt mind. We have a discouraged mind. We have a, check this out, we have a broken mind. Someone had said that the biggest war, the biggest challenge that you'll ever face in your life, the biggest war you'll ever have to fight is the war that happens between your ears, your mind. 
The things that you think. The things that you think. It's going to be the biggest battle that you're ever going to have to face. And God knew this about us. God knew we'd be in this world that was polluted, filled with sin and corruption, rebellion. And he knew being in these waters of pollutants, it would begin to bring a toxin to our thinking and the way we live and our psyche. And God said, you know what? I, I, know, our peop- I know my people are going to walk through this mess of life, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to harm their mind, and it's going to change their thinking. So God inspired some writers in the scriptures to speak directly to this. One of those guys is Paul. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's on page uh, 940 in the scriptures in front of you in the chair rack there. Pull this out because I want you to see how you can begin to have control over your thoughts. You can make your mind mind. The Apostle Paul is, is, is writing this letter to a church in Corinth. Corinth is a, a Greek city. The Greeks prided themselves on knowledge. They prided themselves on intellectualism. They prided themselves on liberalism, meaning whatever you want to do, you go ahead and do it. The name of tolerance, as long as it doesn't bother me, you do what you want to do. And so there were, there were temples and there was idol worship all over the city. And one of the, the biggest temples and one of the greatest idols that was worshipped there was a goddess of sex. So to worship that goddess of sex, there were temple prostitutes. And that basically overwhelmed the city and it became a place where it was a hotbed of, if you think it, just go ahead and do it. Right? If it feels good, go ahead and do it. And Corinth was known as, as, as a city of sexual promiscuity. There was no restraint there. But these people found Jesus. Okay, they used to think one way, like just live how you want to live and do what you want to do, no restraint. Then they found Jesus, and they knew there was a better way. And they wanted that way. They wanted to follow Jesus. But here was the problem. While they gave their life to Jesus, they still thought the same old way. They couldn't remove those old thoughts. They couldn't remove that old thinking. And they want to detox. And Paul knew they wanted to detox their minds. So Paul says, listen, let me tell you what God has led on my heart to tell all of you. And I think what he says to them is going to help us today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Paul says, For we live in a world, for though, so rather, we, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Like there's some things out there that are going to help you uh, attain better thinking, but it's just worldly ways. It's not in which God has ordained. Look at verse 4. No, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We got something different. He says, actually, on the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. You see what he says there? The world doesn't have divine powers. But God, Paul is saying, God has given you a, a weapon, a weapon that is more powerful than what the world can bring so that you can make your mind mine and start controlling your thoughts and taking your thoughts captive. And it only comes from God. It's a divine weapon. And what does it do? It demolishes the strongholds that hold us back from, from living like God, thinking more godly thoughts. Verse 5. It says, we demolish arguments in every pretension, that's prideful thinking, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and, this is a great line, we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought captive. You know what I love about God? He understands us. He understands me. He understands you. He knows that we are going to live in this world, and our minds are going to get corrupted. We're going to bring all sorts of filth into our, our minds, and we're going to start thinking some things and believing some things that are totally untrue. And God says, you can take every thought captive. Like, it is possible for you to really take thoughts captive and then make them obedient to Christ. You can make them obey Christ. Because, like, let's just admit this. We have strongholds in our life. I have strongholds in my thinking. You have strongholds in your thinking. Things, barriers that keep us from from God, like our worldview or worry or fear or anxiety. I mean, have you been able to overcome those things? 
guilt, resentment, bitterness, jealousy, envy, revenge, impatience. These are strongholds that exist right here in our minds. And so how do you get rid of them? Like, how do you get rid of that kind of thinking? How how do you bring your thoughts under control? How do you detox your mind so that you think godly thoughts? That's the big question. I'll tell you what, God gives us a number of ways. Like, he, he has filled his scripture with all sorts of weapons that you could use. And my problem this last week in study was not presenting to you some kind of practical way to do this. My problem was narrowing it down to give you the best weapons to equip you to demolish these strongholds quickly. And I think, I think what, the great place to start here is where the Bible starts, and that is don't believe everything you think. Catch that. Don't believe everything you think. There's this old saying that you are what you eat. You ever heard that saying? You also are what you think, and that's been proven by psychology. You are what you think. The thoughts, your thoughts are the, the factory of your emotions, They're the factory of your emotions. That's where your emotions are built, right here in your thoughts. Did you know you can control your emotions? You can, but you know where it starts? you got to start controlling the way that you think. You know, science has proven this. Science has proven that thoughts are the the factory of our emotions. Uh, They had used this in a study some years ago. They showed a picture of this dog, and they had people determine, now, is that dog, is that dog aggressive, or is, is that dog, um, is he calm? What do you think? And see, so your thoughts just put into something of kind of a feeling there, didn't they? They built an emotion. I heard even someone say aggressive, but in all actuality, the scientist says, when they took that picture, that dog was calm and approachable. But your thought has turned that into a what? An emotion, I'm afraid. Do I, do I leave or do I love? Do I pet or do I part? The dog's calm. But you made a snap decision on what that dog was. You thought it. Now you believe it because you felt it, and so it must be true. Some of you are optimistic. Some of you are pessimistic. And that all starts in the mind. It all starts right here. Let me tell you, my mind isn't right. All right, let me confess. My name is Matt, and my mind isn't right. But you know what? Your mind isn't right either. And I don't want to like lessen or diminish mental health issues here today. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I want you to know that the Bible tells us that our minds are ill. Our minds are ill. They're sick. Our minds are sick because in a general sense, they've been sickened by sin. They've been toxined by sin. It's the effects of sin in this toxic world. But God says they can be made whole again. They can be made whole again. Friends, if you want to get anything, you've got to start believing that. That your thoughts can be made whole again. They can go back to righteousness. They can go back to godly thinking once again. But here's what happens, unfortunately. We think it, and it becomes reality to us. We think it. We feel it. We believe it. Therefore, it's got to be true. You know, when I was a kid, I believed my parents were trying to make my life difficult. wasn't true, but I believed it. There's many in this room because there's been so many corruption in government. You make blanket statements like this because you think it. Politicians are all greedy and manipulative. How about this one? This is a favorite line that I've heard so many times. All millennials are lazy. No, they're not. The only thing the church wants is your money. The customer's always right. No, they're not. I've been wrong a lot of the time. I've met people who are sincere in their beliefs. But friends, they are just sincerely wrong. They believe lies. 
Believing everything you think can absolutely wreck and destroy your life. It can destroy your future. Believing everything you think. I've counseled men and I've counseled women who have suffered like greatly in relationships. They've been wounded and hurt deeply in relationships and they had thought this thought which they audibly expressed to me, I will never be able to love someone again. That has wrecked their future. No way they believe now. They, knew, they believe now. They've, th- they've thought it. They felt it. They believe it now, this lie. They'll never be loved and they'll never find love and they'll never be able to love again. Or how about thoughts like this that creep out through our mouth. God will never forgive me, or I'll never be happy, or I'll always be an addict, I'll never feel better, I'll never find my purpose, I'll always be a failure. If I go to the marriage class at 10.30, people will think my marriage has problems. I think it, I feel it, I believe it, it must be true. No, wrong. Like, God knew that this world would have so much pollutant within it that it would just start bringing a toxicity to our mind that we, would, we wouldn't even know truth from, from a lie anymore. In the book of Jeremiah, he says this, the heart, and where it says the heart here, it's been translated other times, the mind, it's this whole process of thinking. So the heart or our thoughts are deceitful above all things and desperately sick. I'm like, who can understand them? We can't even understand our, ourselves at times. So here's a weapon. Let me give you a weapon to combat this. So like if if you can't believe everything you think, what's the weapon to fight against that? Let me, this, is a, this is the best weapon that the Bible has to offer. Compare your thoughts to what God thinks of you. Did you catch that? Compare your thoughts to what God thinks of you. Because I am confident that there are many Christians, even some of us in this room, and, and those online that are, ex, that, that are not experiencing freedom. They're not experiencing this, this take every thought captive teaching Because we are just simply not in God's truth, not in God's word enough. We're just not in his word enough. Let me give you some statistics from overseas, from the UK, from England. 27% of British parents, 27% of British parents think that Superman is or might be a biblical story. Superman, y'all, come on. How about 50%, just a little over 50% of British parents believe the Hunger Games is or might be a story from the Bible. It's not. I mean, Matthew 4, where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and fasted for 40 days, maybe that was a hunger game. I don't know, but there was no hunger games like you know it. And you, we, like, we laugh at that, but we're, we're nearly as biblically as liter- illiterate. 60% of Christians, 60% of Christians say, my life is devoted to God. 60% of Christians say, I don't know all the Ten Commandments. I maybe can tell you five, and I definitely don't know where they're found Many even say, I'm not even sure if they're, they're biblical. 82% of Americans think that God helps those who help himself is a Bible verse. It, and it's not. It's, it's grandma's Bible verse, but it's not, it's not a Bible verse. And it's like, this goes on and on and on. Like There are Christians who think Sodom and Gomorrah were brother and sister. Those were cities, by the way. Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Not true. Billy Graham preached the Sermon on the Mount. Didn't, right? Yet these are actual beliefs. Why? We're just not in the truth enough. We're just not in the truth. We believe lies because we don't know enough truth. Here's what Jesus had said. If you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, you really are to my, my disciples, you will know the truth. If you continue in my word, what will happen? You will know the truth, man. And the truth then will do what? That will set you free. You stay in God's word, the truth. You plant yourself in there. You detox in God's word. What happens? You'll start knowing the truth. These lies will start being dispelled, and the truth will set you free. Friends, this is why those detox devotionals that we handed out last week and are on some of the chairs here 
with you today and at the welcome desk are so important. Like we're on day eight and what it's done is it's kept us in God's word. And there are so many Christians, especially some in this room and, and those who are online that are sitting here saying, you know what, I just, I just don't read daily. I don't take in the truth of God daily. And those devos get us back into God's word and they help us to think through and meditate on God's word together. And this day, by the way, in case you didn't know, today starts a congregational church-wide fast. You're thinking, oh, I wasn't ready for that. Hey, don't be so liberal with it, right? You don't, you don't, have, or you don't have to like sit there and say, hey, I, or legalistic rather. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to follow through with it today if you haven't planned for it. Plan for it. But those who have planned for it starts today, goes all the way through Saturday, and I don't know what kind of fast you've chosen. Maybe you said, I'm just not going to have food completely. I need God more than I need food. Good for you. I'm not in that place right now, okay? Uh, We're kind of in this place where we say, we're going to Daniel fast this thing. We're going to give up some meats and sweets and and breads and things, and any time that we have the craving for that, we're going to crave God more than we crave those things. See, that's what a fast is about. Like, if I give up coffee, which is going to be a big deal for me here this week, pray for me. Pray for my wife, really. Pray for the step. Just pray that this place stays together. How about that? <laughs> this may not be a good fast. I don't know. It's one of those crazy where I know it's going to hurt. There's going to be headaches. And that's going to be where it's going to drive me to my knees. God, I need you more than I need this caffeine. See, you get the idea of what the fast is about? God, I need you more than I need this. I need you more than I need this. And every time I feel this pain, anytime I feel this hurt, I'm going back to you, going back to my knees, because I need you more than I need that. And... Uh, you got to compare your thoughts to, to the thoughts that, that God has about you because we, we just don't do that. Here, here's what God thinks about you. Anytime you think it's impossible, God says, with me, all things are possible. When you think I don't have the strength, God says, wait on me. I will renew your strength. When you think nobody loves me, God says, I loved you with an everlasting love. When you think there is no way I can continue on, God says, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. When you think, I don't know what to do with my life, God says, call on me, I'll direct you. When you think, I can't do it, God says, you can do it. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. When you think, it's not worth the battle, God says, it is, it will be, just keep going. When you think, I can't forgive myself, God says, you can, because I have. When you think, I can't make ends meet, God says, I will supply all of your needs. When you think, I'm afraid, God says, I didn't give you the spirit of fear, but of power. When you think, I can't handle it, God says, give it to me. I'll carry it for you. When you think, I'm not smart enough, God says, I'll give you wisdom. When you think, I'm alone, God says, I will never leave you or abandon you. When you think, my life is a mistake, God says, I have made you in an amazing and wonderful way. You are special to me. You see how the truth and being in the truth dispels those lies Those thoughts that you had come in with that are toxic, God says, you need to be in the truth. And what will the truth do? The truth will set you free. Get into God's word, my friend. Start taking every thought captive. That's where the purity of the mind begins, right in God's word. That is the greatest weapon. God's truth spoken into my life to dispel the lies. Here's a a shield of sorts for you. God's word is a weapon. Let me give you a shield. Let me give you a shield. Let me just kind of put it in easy terms so we can remember it. Guard your mind against garbage. You heard the statement, garbage in, garbage out? True, isn't it? Put some garbage in, some garbage is going to come out. It doesn't matter how much you want to hold it back. Ultimately, it's going to come out. If you go to a nutritionist, they'll tell you that there are basically three kinds of food groupings. There's, there's health food, which is food that is good for you. It's high in vitamins, rich in vitamins, and, and will help to like 
grow your body and grow your brain. It's good for you. There's junk food. It's kind of neutral it's, or it's low or it has no tr- traditional value. And then there's toxic food. Toxic food. Toxic food is things that actually harm you. It's, it's actually poisoning you. If that's true of the body, it's also true of the mind. It's true of our thoughts. It's true of our psyche. What you take in, what you feed your brain, what you feed your brain is ultimately going to come out within you. And there are three kinds of mental food. There's three kinds of brain food. There is healthy food, which is like positive thoughts. That's only going to be found when you start feeding your mind with with encouragement, people of encouragement, things of encouragement, things that build you up, things that tell you the truth, like God's word, things that make you smarter and more confident. God and godly stuff to feed your mind. You find that stuff in like small groups. You find that stuff in churches like this. You find that in sermons that are on the radio and on podcasts. You find that around Christian people most of the time. You find that within Christian books and Christian music. Stuff that's going to build you up and give your spiritual life some nourishment. But you know there's also junk thoughts, aren't there? And I, I find myself eating a lot of junk thought. Things that are found in some movies and some podcasts and some TV shows and some books and just, just some junk thoughts that arise there. Sometimes watching a movie for me can be like walking through a, a minefield. Like a few weeks ago, someone had told me, well, actually a few people told me that I got to go watch some movie that was on Netflix. It was absolutely amazing. Best movie they had ever seen. I thought, you know what? Uh, I don't have the highest standards all the time. Sometimes I relax on my morals. I'll go ahead and watch this one. I started to watch it and then like walking through a minefield. Things were going good for the first 15 minutes and then out of the blue, a sex scene. So I fast forward to that, kaboom, right? And then the next scene, a ton of vulgar language. Fast forward to that one, kaboom, line man. Well, I just st- st- stepped on another landmine right there. And then the scene after that, high violence, kaboom. I just finally had to turn it off and said, I think I am stupider for watching that movie. Like I didn't gain anything out of that. That was complete junk for me. It had polluted my mind with stupidity and things that I didn't want to pollute my mind with. I should have turned it on to begin with because I knew the rating, and I probably knew that the rating wasn't going to work out well for a guy like me. How about toxic thoughts? There's junk thoughts, there's health thoughts, but how about toxic? You know, like toxic thoughts. Like pornography is toxic food. Let me just camp out here and just relay to you some things I found last week as I, as I was looking at studies about the brain. A lot of these studies have focused in on pornography because pornography rewires our brain. You may not have known that. It stops the development. It has, in some areas of the mind, it stops the development within adolescents, for adolescent teens who watch and view pornography. It rewires our brain. Yet, yet, four out of ten Americans say it is morally acceptable to watch pornography. 43% of Americans say it's fine. It's harmless to watch pornography. Let me read you one of the, the quotes that came out of one of the studies recently about how pornography tears apart our mind. It says, repeated consumption of porn causes the brain to literally rewire itself. It triggers the brain to pump out chemicals and form, listen to this, form new nerve pathways, leading to profound and lasting changes in the brain. Yet 140 Americans say, it's cool, it's fine, it's all right, it's not toxic. And science says time and time again, it's rewiring our brains. It's introducing chemicals into our brains that shouldn't be there. So listen to me, couples. Pornography is not enhancing your sex life. Men, 
It's not helping you relieve stress. Young men, it's not a form of entertainment, and it's not there to bring you instant gratification. Women, it's not going to satisfy the feelings of loneliness. It is a toxin in our society, and it's polluting our mind. Hey, I can say that with things about literature, about novels, and maybe some books that are found within the occult. I can even say that about social media with all the reports that come out every single week about a new study about how social media and our continual connectiveness with it leads to depression and anxiety and loneliness. And some of you are sitting and saying, my life stinks. I think I'll check out what's going on in social media. Oh yeah? Ready for a downhill dive? Ready to be introduced to toxins like you've never been introduced before? Let me give you some advice here as a pastor. And let me say it bluntly. Get off of it. If you're depressed, if you're lonely, if you can't have control of it, get away from it and break that addiction and start filling yourself up and say, you know what my fast is going to be? I'm done with Snapchat. I'm done with Instagram. I'm done with Facebook. I'm fasting from that, and every time I have an urge, I'm going to be praying. Some of you are like, man, I'll be in prayer seven hours a day. Yeah, good, yeah. That might be a good day for you, right? You know what David said to David, who was a man after God's own heart? He had a rule for his eyes. He made rules for his eyes. Men, have you done that? He wrote, I refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I just refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. That was a rule. Job, it's not on the screen. Job, uh, he, had, he made this rule. He says, I love this language. He said, I had made a covenant with my eyes. I had made a covenant. A covenant is a pledge that you make before God. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a young woman lustfully. He might have looked at old ladies lustfully, but not young women. I don't know where he was at on that. I've thought, why did he narrow it down to that? Why not just not look at any woman lustfully? But he said, I made a covenant. I have done something where I have told myself and I made a pledge before God that is not going to happen in my life. You know, in a friend's house when I was growing up, in my friend's house and his living room next to the TV was this placard that his mother had put next to the TV. It was Psalm 119.37. It said, turn my eyes from worthless things, preserve my life according to your word. And anytime my buddies and I would be at his house and we'd start to watch something that was wrong, something that had nudity or something that had high violence or cussing in it or something we shouldn't be watching, we'd look at that placard and we'd come face to face with our faith. We'd come face to face with everything we believed in. God's telling me right here, turn your eyes. And what was unconscious about our TV watching just became conscious. Are you going to continue on in disobedience? Or are you going to shut it off or turn the channel to something else? What was unconscious became consciousness just because Scripture was in front of us. Let me give you one more weapon. Okay, there were some shields. Garbage in, garbage out. Guard yourself from garbage in this world. But let me give you one more weapon. It's not as strong as the weapon of being in the truth of God's word every day, but it is, it's a good one, and that is to shed light on your darkness. Shed light on your darkness. We all have dark thoughts. Let's just admit that. We all have thoughts that are inconsistent with our faith. Every single one of us have thoughts that are inconsistent with our faith, and darkness doesn't drive out darkness. So if you think you can leave here and continue on the way you were and think that you're going to take every thought captive, you are dreaming. You've got to be in the light to do that. You need to have your mind enlightened in one sense. Here's how Jesus had this teaching in Matthew 6. He had said, the eye is the lamp of the body. And I think that's why David and Job were like so quick to say, I'm going to guard my eyes. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, if your eyes are looking for good stuff, godly stuff, Your whole body will be full of light. Where there is light, there can't be darkness, right? Where there is light, there can't be darkness. But if your eyes are unhealthy, if your eyes are bad, if you're looking for bad stuff, toxic stuff, junk food stuff, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, which means there is no light, how great is that darkness? Like, okay, the very last part of that is a little confusing, so let me just try to simplify that in a sentence. The more that you allow God into your life, the less evil will be present in your life. The more that you allow God into your life, the more pure your thoughts start to become. But the more darkness and junk and toxic stuff we allow in our life, the more the darkness will overrule us and consume us. It's like Jesus teaching about the evil spirit that flees only to kind of find the house void but clean. The emptiness of evil is not enough. You have to fill it with something godly. Why not fill it with the light? And what is the light? God says, I'm the light. First John, God is light. In him there is no darkness. Fill yourself with God. And here's the fastest way to detox your mind. The fastest way is to fill yourself up with God, to consume God, to fast and say, I don't need this stuff. I need God more, to consume your life with light. I love Philippians 4, 8. I just don't know how to get there exactly. To fix your thoughts on what is true. I want to do that, don't you? I want, to, I want to anchor my thoughts to what is true, to what is honorable, to what is right, to what is pure and lovely and admirable. But think about, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And my question is, where do I start? How do I start that? I hope that's your question today. I want that for my life. Where do I start on the pathway to get my thoughts under control? Number one, here's where it starts. I've got to admit that I'm responsible for my thoughts. Okay, those are my thoughts. And why I've welcomed them into my life. I've been around things, I've seen things, I've read things that I, I've welcomed those in. And I've got to admit, those are my thoughts. Second, I don't have the strength to master my mind. Guys, I don't have, I don't have charge over my mind. I just don't. And I have to recognize I don't have the strength, but God does. Third, I've got to be willing to break free from the darkness. A willing, I hope that's your, I hope that's you today. That you're sitting here saying, I'm willing. I don't, want, I don't want to think the way I think anymore. I don't want to go to these dark places and, and live in that dark destination. I want the light of God in my life. i got a willingness to get there. i got uphill hopes. I need to ask God, the four things, I need to ask God to renew my mind. I don't think we do that very often. God, just renew my mind. Ephesians 4 talks about it like this. Let the Spirit, I love that, let God's Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. You got a bad attitude? There you go. God, I need your spirit. You got bad thoughts? God, I need your spirit. I need you to renew yourself in me. This is so important. Let me tell you why it's so important, because the spirit does two things really well in the believer's life. One, the Holy Spirit does for me the things I can't do on my own. He does for me the things I can't do. I can't control my thoughts. I can't take every thought captive. I'm going to need God's spirit in my life. I'm going to need God's strength in my life. You're not going to be able to do it. You're fighting the world's way this battle raging within you. You need divine power. You catching this? The Holy Spirit fulfills in me what God desires to do in my life too. He fulfills in me God's desire for me to do something. He drives me to it. He fulfills in me what God desires to do in my life. And you need God's Spirit, man. You need God's Spirit to take every thought captive. You can't do this on your own. And the Spirit, friends, is only received when you make Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord. Only receive when you die to yourself in baptism and rise with Jesus Christ. That's the only way the Spirit is received. And so you might have some thoughts. You're saying, I don't want those thoughts. I want to break that habit. Not going to happen apart from God. You'll, you'll remove it, only to have it replaced by something equal or worse. But the 
The part here is not just removal, it's replacing with God. It's not about being empty of you, it's about being filled with God. And the only way you can be filled with God is by welcoming Jesus, welcoming his spirit into your life and letting him take charge over your thoughts, staying in the truth and being grounded in the truth and hearing the truth spoken to you so that those lies, those lies are pushed out and the purity of your mind are things of noble. The thing, purity of your mind are the things that are right and honorable and lovely and admirable and excellent and you start thinking that way, you start thinking like God. That's what he wants for you. But it only comes when you welcome the spirit of God into your life.